This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones, your host, coming to you from Spokane, Washington. I am the author of the book School X and the host of the podcast Transformative Principle. I also have another book coming out. I don't know what the title is yet, but it's about how to be a transformative principal. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I am Frederick Lane. I am a Brooklyn-based author, attorney, and educational consultant. I am the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. I am going to glom on to Jethro's example and do a writing retreat to pound through my current book project, The Rise of the Digital Mob, which I've told way too many people will be done by the end of the year. So we will see how that goes. Uh, Jethro, much more relevantly, and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to the world's leading experts of digital from the devices. fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and more. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. And I think it is wildly appropriate (laughs) for you to do the mission statement since you're responsible for the great team jerseys that we are wearing today. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. Here we are. Center for Cyber Ethics. do need to credit my wife, Stacy, for making these shirts because she's good at that kind of stuff. And she just makes sure that that kind of stuff gets done. So I'm grateful for her. Now that's fantastic. Well, yes, kudos to eventually. her for the great I don't know uh, how long that'll take, that but we will eventually <laughs> it'll get there eventually. Available to the public. Yeah. So what's been going on in your world, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, apart from trying to grind away in the midst of uh, construction noises outside my apartment building on the book, The Rise of the Digital Mob, I did a couple of webinars for the University of Indiana, uh, their media school this week, talking about some of the legal issues surrounding the development and distribution of online adult mm -hmm. content arising uh, out of my original book, um, Obscene Profits. So that was really interesting to revisit that topic and in particular to hear the comments of yeah. kids who have grown up in a very different media world, uh, certainly than I did, and I suspect you as well. And, you know, obviously we touch on that subject quite a bit on this podcast, and we'll do it a little bit today as well. But, you know, their perspectives on where the content comes from, and honestly, the role they play in creating some of the content was really fascinating. Um, and just by the way, a shout out to Professor Bryant Paul, who issued the invitation for me to come on board and do those lectures. And we, my wife and I, Amy, uh, we met him when she was doing research on her recent book, Lust on Trial, out at the Kinsey Institute, which is associated uh, with the University of Indiana. Yeah, cool. So we've well, known Brian great. for a fair chunk of time. Um, so really we, interesting. We mentioned a little to. bit that I've got a new book coming out, How yeah. to Be a Transformative Principal. I need to hack your brain a little bit for title suggestions because you do have some pretty good ones. Like Obscene Profits, I think, might be my favorite um my favorite title that you have, even though that was an early one. I like it. <laughs> well, that, oh, yes, that, that one's a good that's one. That's a nice too. one. I actually yeah, see? Big you've got great titles, sequel, which was The Naked Employee. <laughs> which I, yeah, I want to say yeah. was not about what you think was it was about, but it was about workplace surveillance so and it and it's a title that still resonates yeah. actually that is like so many other things <laughs> yeah. on the list to be got a couple other things to take point. care we'll of first. talk about that yeah in, oh a few years yeah. <laughs> minor minor details but anyway so um for our purposes today we are going to be talking about a subject that is near and dear to our hearts which is family app management or screen management for parents and for educators. And this is a particularly interesting co mm -hmm. uh, conversation to have in the hopefully waning days of a global pandemic. Yeah, and I think this um, is a really, really important thing to recognize that for parents no matter what you may have been doing for screen time and controlling your kids' device usage and whatever that may be, when the school shut down and they immediately got devices into the hands of every kid in the world that they possibly could, I mean, this just totally threw all those plans and ideas right out the window. And we, nobody was prepared for it. Schools certainly weren't. Um, some schools were more prepared than others because they've been doing one-to-one -one initiatives. So kids had opportunities to have devices at home and stuff, but it really threw a wrench and forced everybody to deal with it head on. Not to mention, um, as a, uh, Eric Stevens, who's, um, who's on our Center for Cyber Ethics board, he works for a company called Gaggle, and they saw this huge increase in student um, self-harm, bullying, and all kinds of things because all these kids now had devices but they didn't have the training to, to talk about it. And so, 
you know, one of the things we're going to reiterate over and over and we always talk about is the need to communicate and talk about things. And when your kids do something wrong, they need to come and talk to you. Whether if your kids do wrong at school, they need to go and talk to the teacher or the principal and say, this is what happened. And just setting up the situation for kids to come and say, I made this mistake is such a huge step in the right direction. It just cannot be overstated enough. And it's so important. Well, I think that's such a great point to make, Jethro, because we want to um, facilitate as yeah. parents and as educators an environment in which kids feel safe talking about these issues. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, as you and I have discussed, adults grapple with these issues all the time. And so if we're struggling, you know, supposedly with our experience and our wisdom and all the rest of that, imagine the challenges that kids face. And in that context, by the way, I think it's really useful to point out to people yeah. that Facebook has actually hit the pause button on their Instagram for Kids initiative. And I think that's partly mm -hmm. a recognition of the precise psychological issues that you're talking about. There have been some interesting news reports that suggest that Facebook has been aware of the psychological impact yeah. of Instagram in particular, and even more particularly on young women. So there's a lot of stuff that we need to sort out. And the only, th not the only thing, but I think the most effective tool is the communication between parents and kids you know, in a loving environment where people understand mm -hmm. and trust yeah, and, each other. And, and really, are, if, are if you start out as early as possible with that conversation of it's okay to come and talk when you make a mistake or it's okay to come and talk when you're feeling something weird um, or something that you're not used to, I should say, because it's not necessarily weird, but when you're feeling something, it's okay to come and talk. That is really invaluable. So I think the the really the first question is, does your child really need advice at all? or do they not? And, and that's a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it really is. And we've been beating this drum for a long time. And the, the phrase that I love that I, I think is just such mm -hmm. a good thing for parents to reiterate like a mantra is this idea of least feasible technology. What is the least feasible technology your kid needs to accomplish the actual purposes that are necessary, whether it's family communication or school homework or what have you. And I think, you know, again, as, as we've often referenced, there is such a feature and device creep mm -hmm. within families. Every single year, there's a huge Apple event announcing the latest devices and people rush out, they get them. And then the next thing you know, the older devices are sliding down the family food chain. And so you wind up with a situation very easily where kids are carrying around very powerful devices that are only a few years old mm -hmm. and sure. they're much more powerful than we... they have the experience or the wisdom to use. <laughs> yes, and we thoughts have thoughts on, on lots of thoughts. <laughs> so have, the book is Raising Cyberpunk that was <laughs> written by Fred, which is a great book. and talks you through a very boring idea of having a family acceptable use policy, but such an important thing. And it just, you think about your family or your work acceptable use policy, and you just want to pull your, pull your hair out. 
but having a family one is really important because really it's all about that communication. The audiobook and the links for these are in the show notes at uh, cybertraps.com. Um, the audio course is us kind of riffing on it instead of reading the book word for word. So it's it's a little bit different than the book, and we think that it's pretty good. So you can check out the link for that also at the show notes page. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that actually is is a great recommendation for folks. It's something you can listen to very easily as you're going about your day or driving or what have you. Um, and I certainly encourage people to consider it. Yes, there's a small risk that if you do a family acceptable use policy, one of your kids may become a lawyer. That is not on us. We are, <laughs> we are here simply to try to give good advice to people. But in all seriousness, there's a real value to using this kind of tool to encourage the kinds of family conversation that we're discussing. And I think even more importantly, on top of all of that, is to bring kids into the negotiation and discussion process, because you will see as they get older that they have very definite yeah, thoughts and really on how these policies Allowing them be to be part of the conversation goes a long way in helping manage and mitigate the risks that come along with it, because you can talk openly about what it is that they're seeing and experiencing and, and how to do that. So let's talk about some of the things that need to be managed. First of all, number one, I think is pretty obvious. We need to manage screen time. Um, if kids are zombies on a, on a device all day long, then that impacts them. And I, I think everybody's experienced some form of zoom <laughs> fatigue. Who's had to be on zoom for the last year and a half. And it, um, that's a real thing. And, and a lot of kids have struggled with that also. So it, it's especially challenging during, um, during the pandemic that we've been going through that, you know, schools have kids on devices all day long. And, um, and that's, that's not going away, by the way. I mean, it, kids go back to school in person and they're yeah. going to still have devices. Yeah. It's not like they're going to say, let's go back to just the paper and pencil. They figured out how to do some things better on a device. So they're going to keep doing that. No, I think that's absolutely right. And you see that in other fields as well. You know, for instance, my wife is a professor of art history and the turnout at their faculty meetings hmm. is probably eight times what it was when all of the faculty meetings were held in person. And it makes a huge difference. You get a much broader range of voices and input and so forth. We won't talk a lot about it today because we're talking about the topics of what needs to be managed on the devices. But it's worth putting in a, a brief footnote that one of the reasons we're concerned about things like screen time is that in addition to the psychological aspects, you're also seeing physical harms that arise mm -hmm. from all of the screen time, whether it's in terms of a child's posture, in terms of their weight gain and so forth. There are concerns about vision. Um, I've been working, as you know, Jethro, off and on on updating Cybertraps for the young. And at some point, you know, we'll need to do a show just on the physiology yeah, that's, of devices. That's super interesting. It's, it's so a couple really other things to manage what is what is show. Uh, what apps and content is downloaded to the device, um, even movies and TV shows and podcasts and music, all those things you need to. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> can point. listen to ours all they want. <laughs> Well, you have some experience with this, though. I mean, you have kids in the age bracket where 
you know, awareness. You know, this is this is a really interesting piece because I'm a huge nerd and I love getting new devices. So that device creep is definitely an issue. And so we've had our our kids have their own devices, quote unquote, for several years now, and they they may be they're their devices in that they're the only one who uses that, but it's not their device as in they have ownership and they it like it belongs to them. It's still uh, it's still our device. We're very clear about that as as adults. They need to get permission to download anything, um, and if there's you know so. Real quick side story: They're all Apple devices because that's who I am, and so they have, uh, <laughs> so they have these iPads, and they, um, and one child has an old phone instead of an old <laughs> iPad, and and so they are signed into my iTunes Store account to say this is Jethro's device, not a child device. So it is, um, it is intentionally done that way to say this is, this is me. So one of the challenges with that is that. Um, they can download any app that I've ever downloaded and be just by pushing the download button instead of using the parental controls specifically of ask to buy, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a thing that Apple has in their ecosystem. And so I did it that way intentionally because when I first did it, then um, the kids' accounts were not set up in Apple. And so there really wasn't, there was no parental controls and they would have, you know, they would have set up their own thing. Now they have their own iCloud account. So I have some parental controls there, so it's limited in some ways. When the kids are younger, then they, I have to put in the password for them to even update any apps. They can't do that on their own. So they have to come to me for, for everything. So we've had to have a lot of discussions about what is right to download, what is not right to download. Um, sync, like For example, we, they don't have streaming apps on their devices because then we, I'd have four kids streaming different things all at the same time. One, that's not good for my internet bill. And two, um, I don't want them, <laughs> if we're going to be watching a movie or a show, we should be watching it on the big screen as a family rather than you zoned in just on your own thing. And that's just one of the beliefs that I have. So that's an area where I've said no streaming apps on your devices with one exception, which is where we have all of our personal media stored on a server. They can download that app and watch our home videos and movies whenever they want. Yep. Plex. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where we have all of our home videos and photos saved and they can download those and watch our, their home videos whenever they want. Plus a couple other movies that are on there. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, that's really important stuff. I mean, there's there's two pieces to that, Jethro. I, uh, we've got on our list, at least in the back of my head, the deep dive topics. And one of those has to be YouTube because YouTube, you know, in terms of right. the sheer volume of content, but much more importantly, the algorithmic suggestions that YouTube pops up can be an enormous problem. Mm-hmm. And then related to that, as we talked about a week or so or two weeks ago, is TikTok. And TikTok is becoming a particularly dangerous source of risky challenges and dares and things like that. Putting aside some of the filtering problems, one of the uh, articles I just read the other day for the digital mob is a disturbing description of how you can create your own filter bubble on TikTok. So you're getting an increasingly uh, limited but focused 
series of videos and it can really end up i think messing with your brain um this guy was talking about for instance setting up a specific mm -hmm. account so that he could tap into some of the patriot movement TikToks that are out there and the story was really kind of hair curling um I, that's a little off the beam for what we're doing today but i think it underscores the need for parents to have some awareness of what their kids are viewing and I would agree with you that streaming is one of the yeah. most well and challenging. You know, I don't want to belabor this point, so I'll just say one last thing, and then then we can move on. But when you're when you're streaming something, it it requires your attention, <laughs> and and so if you are watching something on your device, you know, you get back to that hunched over, looking down kind of a thing, and it makes it. Um, it makes it challenging. So, for example, I have the camera set directly in front of me for these interviews so that I'm sitting up straight looking at the camera rather than hunched over looking at my uh, computer screen. And this is just one of those ergonomic things that is you want to pay attention to because what what's it going to be like if you start doing that when you're three or four years old? I mean, yeah. Well, that's precise. Right, that's precisely the point, which is we're doing we're doing this right. long term study on the physical right. impact on kids of these devices, and there's been no IRB review. There's been no <laughs> assessment as to whether or not this is a good experiment to run. We're just doing it, and so you know, look, a lot of that has yep. a lot of that is similar to the psychological piece in terms of what kids are exposed to. And it may be 15 or 20 years before we're really in a position to say what's happened. Yeah, but for we sure. Be thinking and, now you know, we think about that with other parts of their lives and we, we need to be thinking to about that with, with, as it relates to technology also. So a couple other things that we should be um, monitoring on our kids' devices is uh, communication with unknown inv individuals. Um, uh, it, it, when I was a kid, we were, all, we were all afraid that some random stranger was going to abduct us, and that was the big fear. And the the fear has now moved to somebody's going to seduce you, and you're going to get involved in a romantic relationship. And those are those are big time fears, and certainly something to to think about. But I don't think that that is all the issue. I think it's more. I'm more concerned with each of my kids about them uh, sharing too much information about themselves putting themselves in danger, not just with indiv other individuals, but also with the the companies that exist out there that they're sharing data and they don't exactly know where that's going, including um, their location and things like that. And then sharing inappropriate photos that can later come back and haunt them that they are not um, prepared for. And, you know, as, as good as you think your kids are, or as good as they seem, those temptations to do those things that are not good are are out there and i've got stories like crazy of wonderful kids that i thought were amazing in my school <laughs> and then somehow i figured out some things that were going on and then had to learn about the the private side inside their devices and i just gotta say that that really helped me recognize that there's there's a natural man in each of us who is striving to do these things that are hedonistic and appeal to the senses and um, and it's a very dangerous world to be sure. Um, so you got to think about that. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good philosophical observation. I have to say, well, and I would think actually Jethro that, 
you know, given your experience in the schools, you've got a perspective on the concept of peer pressure that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have. And and I think what mm-hmm. you're referencing is that peer pressure is now teamed with algorithmic pressure. And I think that those two feed into each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, with peer pressure, right, you're really responding as a kid to those other kids around yeah. you. And I'll never forget, you know, my mother's admonition. Well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you do that? <laughs> you know, right. but what if you see like a thousand a kids very on real TikTok thing jumping off just a bridge? The, now this that last month to look is like with the hashtag devious right? on Twitter, which was all about destroying, yeah, destroying school property. So then kids would do that. And in my oh, yes, coaching right, groups right. with principals that I'm right. working with, um, we've talked about it and, and teachers and principals have been experiencing it. And it's something that that's not what we do in schools. And yet now that's what we do in schools. And the thing that's so crazy about it is that it's still not that many people, but it's been it's gotten national press coverage yeah. and people are talking about it. And it, what it makes possible because of the algorithmic pressure that you mentioned is that you don't even have to be in the same place. In the past, these things could be isolated to a small community or to a small group of schools or within a specific district. They could be isolated there. Now, it's like it spreads like wildfire, and there's not a lot that you can do to prevent your kids from seeing it. And to TikTok's credit, they have allegedly started pulling the search results for that hashtag and pulling videos related to that. But the thing is, kids just make up a different hashtag and go on. I mean, it's it's something that yeah. that TikTok can't even control itself as much as they may say they, they can. It's obvious course, they can't. Of course, right, right. Did you ever look into, um, in no. the course of talking with the other principals? No, and it doesn't need to make any sense. It didn't That's make any sense to me, and I you haven't know? looked at its origins <laughs> at all. Yeah. No, the, the sense-making <laughs> right. comes sorry, from right. the act. What was I thinking? <laughs> right? And so when the sense-making comes from the act, then the yeah. hashtag itself has has no meaning. And that's where we as adults get into trouble because we don't know if we hear kids talking about devious licks, what do we think that means? We have no idea, but the kids know what it means. And then we finally find out after the fact when it's too late and when, you know, our bathroom's been vandalized or our school's been vandalized and we're just too slow on the uptake because of that algorithmic pressure that you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a phrase I think we're going to have to latch on to and do something with, because I think that's an important way to look at it. Um, In terms of the things that parents need to manage and be aware of, um, obviously, with respect to communication with unknown individuals, probably the more pressing threat, you know, particularly in the gaming context, is the risk of bullying and kind of verbal abuse and so forth. I mean, obviously, the stranger danger thing can be a problem but to be honest in most of the instances where kids get Mm -hmm. into an inappropriate or dangerous relationship it's often with someone they know and all too sadly obviously we we're dealing with the educational community or something like that so that's a whole nother topic but the casual uh use of abusive terminology and language and so forth in games is far too easy 
uh, to occur. And so parents do need to be aware of those conversations as well. And then I think probably the thing that um, you referenced that is most important is the stuff we talked about in our last show, the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, where kids you know, let alone these strangers, they've got tech companies trying to suck up all of this information. And parents really should be aware through whatever monitoring or supervision they do. Yeah. And what's happening? It's just so hard to control. What information is being sent out and where it's going. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) well, we're going to talk about some of the things that parents can do in order to help manage this issue, because yes, it is daunting. It is overwhelming. And this is one of the reasons we come back to this idea from the top of the show does your kid need the device? Because honestly, the device is the entry tool into all of these issues. And yes, there absolutely will come a time when it makes sense for your child to have a device of some description, but do they need the latest Galaxy folding phone yeah. in order to get through <laughs> The answer is just no. As we an know eighth that. grader? No. Seriously. So let's figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> let's figure they, yeah, they're, they're, sorry, sorry, Samsung, we're not going to help you out here. <laughs> the answer is just no. But but that being said, you know, we're realistic. We have kids. We've watched our kids grow up with devices. They're absolutely going to use them. There are some practical things that parents can do to give themselves more peace of mind in terms of what their kids yeah, are doing. So with this devices. one, I think, is, and so let's is run something that I've few, thought about uh, for a long time that I... I consider myself to be in a better position technically in what I'm doing in my life because I had a computer in my house when I was a kid. So because I had that early exposure, I feel like I am better equipped to manage and handle all the stuff that we're talking about now. Um, Other people who didn't have that growing up, um, I feel like are at a slight disadvantage. I don't think that it's the end of the world or anything like that. But I think that that is just going to continue to be an issue going forward. So one of the areas where I think it's beneficial is so that your kids understand how these things work, what they can do with them, and and where the pitfalls are. Um, and I think that that is, is appropriate. Um, I think that if you aren't familiar with what's going on, it's really important for you to educate yourself and know what is out there so that you can have an understanding of what the devices can do, how they can figure it out. And you've said many times, you know, just go ask a kid how to do things and they'll explain it to you, which is, is a way to handle that also. (laughs) Well, if actually Jethro, if if I can find it um, right after we, we get off with the podcast, there's an absolutely hysterical comedy routine by this guy who does about uh-huh. a nine minute piece on being a phone tech support guy. And I don't know if you know this, I don't think I've actually talked about this, but I did tech support for a local cable company for a year. And this piece <laughs> yeah. is so spot on. And I won't, I mean, I, it, there, you can imagine what the spoiler alert would be, but I will post the link. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> and people so, should um, watch it for a laugh. So I think the other thing really, that we mentioned really before is just communicating with your child early and often as much as you can. That's just vital. You've got to to do that. Um, and if you don't, you're just yes. setting yourself up for pain, heartache, and failure later, no matter what. 
Well, that's true. And I think closely related to that, and this is also another point that we've made, is that, yes, asking a kid for help is a good thing, but quite literally, in an organized fashion, encouraging Mm -hmm. children to be educators of technology within the family, which is to say there are going to be things that they intuitively get. Because your point's a good one, right? (laughs) You're talking about having a computer in your home. I did not for obvious reasons because, hey, they didn't exist until I went to college. So, yeah, that makes me feel good. But um, that being said, I did get to do a summer computer camp at the local high school because they got their (laughs) hands on a digital equipment corp, you know, mid-frame computer. So that was my start back in the 70s. But my first PC was when I was in college. Um, Kids today are growing up in such a different digital world. And I think that's going to change parenting down the road because all of these kids are growing up with devices. They're growing up in this ecosystem. And we're in this transitional state, right? Right now. I mean, there are, you know, what are the, let's do the math on this real quickly. So the smartphone, the iPhone came out in 2011. 2007, right. It's it's yeah. 14 going on 15. A little gangly. Almost, <laughs> what, a teenager? I guess it's a teenager going into early adulthood. <laughs> but, okay, a little gangly, a little awkward, maybe a little pimply around the edges. So, anyway, the, the iPhone generation will probably, on a regular basis, start having kids in about five, six years. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting to see how that generation parents around devices because for them, it will be absolutely second nature. Obviously, we're not there yet. So to the extent that your kids, who are already in that zone, can help you understand, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. It just encourages conversation. I love your idea of casting to a big screen for video and so forth. That is such a family-oriented approach. And it's not just that you don't have kids right. hunched over, Jethro, yeah. but you've also and, got and this opportunity. This goes back to what we've said again, discuss discussing what you're, watching, what you're which ex- is amazing. seeing and being yeah. exposed to is really a big deal. And so as kids get social media accounts, I know many people who follow their kids on social media, one, so they can know what they're doing, and two, so they can talk about what it is that they're seeing on there. And I think that that's a, a good strategy to do. I think it's also important to... Um, to wait as long as possible before you give your kids that because they're just not emotionally or mentally developed enough to be able to handle that. Um, And you can do things like using built-in parental controls in the system to manage a lot of those things. But once once you go down that path, there's no management there. So once your child gets an Instagram or TikTok account, there's not parental controls on that on that app so once you're in that app then it's open and that's that's what the real challenge is is that there's not a way to say like don't show explicit content and and the companies are doing something Mm -hmm. to make that better but their idea of explicit versus our idea of explicit is is you know obviously going to be different Absolutely right. And and I think you, you give us a nice segue because I think with some acceleration, probably in part because of the pandemic, you do see companies that produce devices and apps and games offering parents a lot more parental controls mm-hmm. from the start. 
you know, so one of the things, obviously, you know, uh, read the manual when you get a new device, when you download an app, when you're buying into an iOS yeah. <laughs> uh, software system. You might not take the saying an apple a day quite as seriously as Jethro does, but cer <laughs> certainly whenever you are in the in the market for a device or something, read about what controls there are. All of the cellular companies offer parental controls. Device manufacturers like Apple and Google and so forth offer parental controls for their devices. Then within that, they offer parental controls for the iOS for the specific programs. Microsoft has parental controls. Everybody out there is trying to help parents as much as they can, but you need to take the time to read through and understand mm -hmm. what they're doing. And I will say in this respect, a search engine is your friend. You know, we, we have in the show notes some guides to specific resources online. As always, we give a shout out to Common Sense Media, which is one of the best places for people to start. But doing a little bit of an online search for whatever thing you're interested in, and in quotation marks, parental controls, you are likely to get some really decent information. What you will also get if you go through uh, one mm -hmm. of the things I listed in the show notes are the efforts that your kids are making to get around those parental controls, because there's always a little bit of an arms race between the software manufacturers and kids. And I was thinking about this before the show. You know, really, when you put a piece of software out in the world, you are stress testing it with millions upon millions of people using it every single day. And kids are often highly motivated mm -hmm. to figure out not only how it works, but how can you make it do things you're not supposed to? Yeah, for and, sure. And, know, it, and when you think about the fair, scale a real of challenge this, for any it's, it's just mind boggling how many people are, are using it. So it really is amazing. Um, the other thing that you can do is, is get a third party <laughs> solution. And depending on, you know, your, you can get something on your network router at home. You can get something for your uh, kids' phones. And so there are lots of options out there. And I think we need to be finding some, um, some CEOs of these companies and talk about, uh, have them on to talk about how they, how they can help parents. That would be good. And then you've got to, yeah, yeah, you've got to regularly also review what your settings I are. I think that's and just because yeah, you set it idea. once, you know, when you first gave your kid the device, that's not good enough. You've got to go back and check it again and again. And it, as you do that, you're gonna find like, oh wait, this hasn't been actually working very well, and I need to lock this down, or this is making my kid's life miserable, and it doesn't need to be. So let me change this setting so that it can. They do have the freedom, and I always talk to my kids about as you as you show you're making good choices, you get more additional freedoms and you're able to do more things. So you've got to keep showing that you're doing the right things to be able to get other opportunities. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And, you know, that's, I think, such a good structure for the development of kids, right? That they're seeing a goal in mind. They want to be able to use certain apps or talk to certain people, maybe communicate with their friends mm -hmm. more easily. And that is something that is a quote unquote right that comes with the demonstration of responsibility. And I, it, I think that's just a good conversation to have. 
Um, the thing that you know, I think parents need to keep in mind is that a certain amount of realism is required because no software tool is going to be perfect in terms of blocking everything that you might want blocked. If you go through the show notes and you see in the resource section, there are three or four different guides for 2021 that list the top parental tools, parental monitoring tools. Go through them, see what yes. they say, but you'll, you'll, you can be assured that something will leak through. And the best way, the best way to deal with that, as we've discussed, is this idea of giving children context for what they're going to see. Because context and parental discussion is the insurance policy yeah. for these and, apps and you need or that these insurance monitoring policy. solutions. And if not you can what you want. talk about it, it makes everything better. And yeah, there needs to be some consequences. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that um, when I was speaking to a church group, the kids said, I don't want to tell my parents anything because they'll take away my phone. That's a very real fear. And you've got to recognize and address that. And sometimes you do need to take it away. But that if that's your first and only go-to, then it's not solving the problem. You need to be able to have conversations about what's going on and how you can fix it and how you can help it. And you know, when when somebody, so for example, when a kid is really tired and grumpy and upset, they're more likely to waste their time and zone out on some social media they shouldn't be, right? It's, it's a natural thing for people to do. So if that's the case, that might be a good time to say, give me your phone and go take a nap. And you know, they may be grumpy sure. and upset, but even if they just go lay down for 20 minutes, you know, those sometimes are the simplest enough solutions to solve these really challenging problems. And, you know, it, every child is different and every situation is different. But if you can do those things, that'll be really helpful. And the last thing I'll say before we close is set a good example for your kids. Use your own device appropriately, wisely. Um, we I can't remember who said it on the podcast, but yes. they said they narrate what they're doing on their phone with their young kids so the kids know what they're doing. They pull out their phone and say, yeah, Tessa, that's right. Um, narrate what you're doing so that your kids know what you're Tessa doing. Stuffy. If you're just like, I'm just doom scrolling through Twitter, then, you know, if you say that out loud, you could be like, what am I doing? I need to do something else with my life. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> I know. I am so disappointed yeah. that I am not the person who came up with the phrase doom scrolling. What a perfect, <laughs> perfect description. Well, Jethro, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. If you're interested in helping to support the operation and our work with the Center for Cyberethics, please go to centerforcyberethics.org backslash donate and help us out. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions regarding the issues of parenting and social media and devices, please drop us a line and we'd be happy to talk about it in the weeks to come. In those coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share technology. the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions or guest suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. 
If you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast just like we did. If so, please leave us a five-star rating and review, and we look forward to seeing you on Thursday for our next episode. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.